We're in. Hello, hello. First time in six or seven months. It's been a minute. I might change that beat up. Yeah. Maybe something a little more rocky, like, uh, I don't know, like Van Halen. Ooh. You got to pay for that, so it'd be like a like a Van Halen dupe or something. It's like a Van Halen cover band. Have you ever played uh, one of those really old video games where they never got the rights to songs, so they made up their own, like, shitty rock songs. That's what I would do. <laughs> I think that, badass. that would be such a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I want to do because I've been very much lacking on any kind of intellectual pursuits or mental health or just, like, I haven't really been in my mind that much lately, which can be good, but it's mostly because I've been not sleeping and working a lot. Yeah. Which I've been working a lot, which is a lot of driving, which you'd think I'd be in my mind more, but I'm just like blank. Oh, is that, is driving just, have you done it so much that you just go on autopilot now? Yeah. So I was talking to Brittany about this and, and I tell her that I, there's like stretches of roads that I just cannot remember at all. And I also, um, I think we were talking about it had to do with some kind of defensive driving thing. Like other people around you are the problem. And I think that to a degree, but I've been doing it so much that I subconsciously am always defensively driving. Like I never tailgate anybody. I never really give into road rage. Like shout out to Brittany here. She, she has more road rage from here to, Safeway, like on Francis, than I have in a full year of trucking. <laughs> and I'd never say anything because, like, none of it bothers me. When people cut in front of you, then take a quick right, it doesn't really bother me because I'm usually never close enough for me to react and get mad at somebody. Um, I guess that makes sense because you gotta you gotta give yourself time to break. Yeah, if someone cuts in front of me, I automatically, like, especially on Francis where people are always trying to turn and shit, I just, like, expect it so it's never a surprise. Right. And I know I've, long ago I've come to the conclusion that I can't control other people's driving and I just try not to react to it because um, I think, oh, what was I going to say? It's, what's that saying where, like, it's something about anger is, anger is a poison, or not not necessarily anger, but any kind of stress that, that you allow into your body is basically a poison pill you take yourself. Someone may enable it, but you have the ability to stop it before it before you um, 
like fully yeah. internalize it. Like throwing it out, throw, throwing it back up so that it doesn't get processed all the way through you. Yeah. You know? like, so like you are the gatekeeper to that. I was trying to, I was listening to this guy. I'm not going to play these keys. Um, I was listening to this guy on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was trying to make a point, which I understood, but I can't really explain it that well. And the basic point that I got from it was people's words don't hurt you. You allow people's words to hurt you. Like someone, and he was trying, I got this, but I couldn't really, I could see how other people wouldn't get it. Cause it, if you ascribe intentions to words, then the intentions are what mean something. And so he was trying to give Joe Rogan an example of like, if I say something to you in another language and it's really derogatory, but you don't know what I'm saying, you won't be affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, yeah, but if I did know what you were saying, I would be. And that's where the intention comes in. But it's still, the intention is on your side. It's not on their side. They can hit you with an intention through words, yet you never have to let it in. Yeah. I'm not sure, like, so if someone's really close to you, I'm, I, I could see how you would constantly have your guard down with them, so anything they say would automatically affect you, but... I think that allowing it to continue to affect you, though, that's where you have the agency, you know? So, like, like someone could say something to you, and um, it could, you know, immediately make you feel terrible, mm-hmm. um, but that person isn't always saying that to you. You're saying it to yourself in their voice. You know, you're allowing yourself to like brood and think on that, you know, and all they did was say it once, Mm -hmm. but you continue to reinforce what they said by saying it again in your head. Right. So it's like, I think at some point you've got to like, it's a, you've got to choose where your awareness is going, you know? And if you're, So, like, if you are affected by a stranger's words, it has more to do with you than a stranger, like, your insecurities. Um, like, if someone called you a fucking dick or, or stupid, whatever. Um, for me, it doesn't affect me to a point. Uh, sometimes I, it does, but that's when I'm, like, less... That's when I'm, like not thinking higher up. That's when I'm like thinking with my amygdala or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, if I th- assume or if I th- view someone's words as just noises coming out of their mouth, then it kind of breaks it down to where like, um, if I don't want to be affected by something, a trick would be to just be like, those are just, noises that you make with your face yeah and <laughs> <laughs> cool sounds dude <laughs> yeah and whatever i was i was trying to say so i used to say that and i'm sure i said this before to you um everything that happens to you is your fault but i don't mean it like that i mean it as in since you are the the at the helm of your own world perspective or your, your life view, then um, 
anything that happens to you, you have a choice on how to view it and how to process it to a certain extent. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, actually. Um, like, because I took it like a blanket statement, like, life is a choice. Everything in life is a choice. It's like, okay, everything, like, my heart goes on beating, you know, whether I choose, you know, to beat or not. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about it. And I'm like, well, actually, choosing, because, like, the only way, like, if I chose for my heart not to beat, I'd have to kill myself, right? Um, so every moment that I choose to not kill myself, I choose to keep my heart beating, mm-hmm. you know? So therefore, like, and I could kill myself at any moment, you know? Like, I mean, there are, it's too easy to die. Like, you could you could crash on a road, yeah. this, that, the other. Um, but, like, every moment you choose not to do that like a choice not to do something is a choice to do something else right so like therefore by choice you did everything to yourself you know because you know in maybe not deliberately you know but like your choices led you there yeah yeah i i I try not to. so when i those are some powerful words when i ever heard when i heard them the first time is um hearing it bluntly like that saying everything is your fault um and then thinking about it like you can choose to see anything in any way you want like i i don't think and this may be um controversial to a point but i don't think there's a such thing as an uh, absolute good or bad i think it's relative yeah and However, the like I think we assign a lot of good and bad to the world through light or dark or or basically discomfort and comfort. But comfort isn't necessarily like a good thing all the time. And discomfort is usually where you grow. Right. Um and darkness is usually where you you have to experience like I have a, a fear of like going to the woods at night. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a fear of the unknown. Right. Like something could happen to you, but it might, it also might not. And you can get over that fear. But, um, the, the dark is the thing that, that brings out the fear, but it's like fear is not necessarily good or bad either. I don't right. think, I think people through, through evolution and archetypes ascribe good and bad to like life and death and light and dark. And I mean, some people celebrate death as yeah, like a happy thing as yeah. Cause uh, some people see it as rebirth, yeah. you know? So I think that there's like a, a way of looking at the world where you should, you should say more of like, not you, but you should say more of like both. And like, it is both happy and sad. It is both bitter and sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because if you, how else can you experience the entire spectrum of humanity? You know, do you ever have like these, uh, I'm sure you do. I think a lot of us do these thoughts that like we were talking about driving and you just die at any moment. Mm-hmm. You're at like going over a bridge or something. You're like one little flick of the wheel right now, like just a few inches. I'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I I do have I've been thinking about like I if you identify with those thoughts you could think you are troubled but if you just realize that they're they're just thoughts and you don't have to attach yourself to them yeah if you, you just, just let them let them go through and um I don't think like I think everybody so I think everybody has the capability to do anything evil um which is why when people are called monsters it's it's because you you know the the Jungian shadow self the Carl Jung he talks oh, about the oh, shadow yeah. yeah the shadow is just um I'm sure you know more about this than I do but the shadow is basically just this darkness that exists in all of us but most of us never we never want to um get comfortable that that darkness exists when within us so we're kind of scared of it and kind of block it out so mm. since we're not we're not comfortable with that darkness we tend to ascribe that darkness in other people as monstrous when that capability exists in all of us but i think the more you know about yourself and and about your human makeup the less the more able you are to control that darkness and the less you are um generally some people give into it like fully but the less you are you become that darkness because you you treat it like like a passenger like dark passenger dexter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like if you um you know it's that's why when a football like when a football team is playing another football team like they'll do um they'll watch film and they'll get to know what plays they run and like what positions are the strongest and which ones are the weakest and then when they play each other they have a way better understanding of how that game is going to go and they can plan to you know run it rather than pass it or play zone instead of man mm -hmm. and um know the enemy exactly and it's the same exact thing with dealing with the shadow because like if you never interact with it and you just push it away and try to put it in a box it's eventually going to spring out on you mm -hmm. then you're um you're not going to know what to do about it when it like when it does show up in a in a moment of weakness yeah yeah, if you're not familiar with it, you can't really see it coming. You can't see the signs. But if you are familiar with it, at least you can be like, um, I'm not going to do that because I know where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I was listening to this. Uh, it was for, it's a movie clip. I don't know what the movie was. But I, I appreciate a lot of the, the – uh, they're universal, but when – when you put them into like a context like Christianity or Buddhism, I was listening to this priest. He was on the stand for something. And the lawyer asked, why would a loving God ever <clears throat> allow this to happen? And, um, you know, the whole thing of God works in mysterious ways. That's like the usual answer to yeah, shit. The they can't easy explain. One. Yeah. But if you try to break it down, the priest was like, or whatever he was, Reverend, I don't fucking know the details. Um, He's like, I wanted love and God gave me people to help. I wanted, I wanted courage. So God gave me dangers to overcome. And so, and what was the other one? Um, courage, love. I wanted, I don't know. So basically 
there's no free lunch. You can't have courage without getting there through challenges. And God, whoever that may be to you, it could be just things happening in the world to you. You, if you want to grow as a human being, if you want that courage, then you have to accept those challenges and then overcome them. Then you get the courage. You don't just pray for it. You, like praying only goes so far. Yeah, but praying is uh, more of like, uh, like putting an intention out. Yeah, but like Frederick Frederick Douglass didn't become free until he prayed with his feet. That's a line of a song. And it's interesting how the people who have, who, um, like speaking specifically of Christians, but this could apply to anybody with any kind of faith, the people that have more hardcore challenges in life tend to have more faith. Yeah. Even though, like, a loving God, the people that don't understand would assume that a loving God should be merciful. M- yeah. And give you an easy life or something like that. But then you realize like um, the people who have overcome the greatest challenges tend to have a stronger faith in things they can't like explain with a worldly yeah definition. And like, I don't know. You s- and and it, it's funny because it's not like, Like having a a cushy life um, versus like having a rough life. Like anyone on any side of it, like if you have the desire to, you know, uh, experience life on the full spectrum, you're going to put yourself in situations that are, you know, going to be tough. Yeah, there's a lot of extremes. That's I think the extremes are where you you find out what you're capable of. And you gotta you gotta go a little bit past the line to find out where the line is because you mm-hmm. I don't think you can see the line if you're on it, right? And like once you go past it, you remind yourself why you stay on the other side. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's like I I don't ever I try not to ever like shit on Christianity because I it when I hear things like I think the problem comes from the church and the and the the actual human representation of Christianity. And there's a lot of things in the Bible who the Bible is also written by human beings mm-hmm. that are translated by human beings, translated by human beings with an angle. Cause I think at the time they translated it, it was like, it was a committee of like the bourgeois men. Or yeah. Like, they knew I mean, people the couldn't read, so yeah. they like, use it to their advantage. But there, I mean, there's a lot of things in the Bible that, that conflict with each other. Yeah. One part of the one page and then the next page, totally conflicting ideas. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, like I, I did take a class on like the new Testament, how it was like, uh, uh, amalgamated and like, it was like a committee of, uh, religious, high ups that like basically they had a whole bunch of stuff that like they could have put in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and they're still finding more like the dead sea scrolls came out Mm -hmm. and that like changed a whole bunch of the way people view shit. And, um, then it's like every so often they would kind of, you know, reconvene as a committee, um, and decide like, okay, is this still relevant to keep in the 
the Bible mm-hmm. or are we going to, you know, switch it out? Can we translate it differently? And um, there are a whole bunch of different ways to translate. Yeah. Um, just based off the language. Yeah. Um, not only that, but like then you could also have like any kind of agenda and then do you want it to translate it and like be specifically worded this way? Um, so it's like, and once I, once I realized that I was like, Whoa, dude, I think I got to think for myself, you know? Yeah. Um, cause if every, if this is like the holy thing and there are this many versions of it, how holy, like how holy is it anymore? Like I, I believe that absolutely it is an awesome book. Um, but you can't argue that it's the same thing as it was when it was originally written. Yeah, and and you're you're interpreting the interpretations of someone else as well. Yeah. So I think there's a little game of telephone that happens. I think the the main thing is um, there's there's some basic moral structure to faiths, and if you stick to those moral structures, like those are what's important. The reason yeah. people don't eat. Uh, eat fish on a good Friday. Apparently this is, I find these little historical things hilarious, but the, the Pope that, uh, that started that he owned a fish market. And so if he just got everybody to eat fish on Fridays, like the fish market would fucking blow out. (laughs) That's hilarious. Nothing to do with religion. The, the Jewish thing about kosher food and, and shellfish all had to do with hygiene. It didn't have anything to do with like, faith right and now that stuff's it's not like it doesn't make sense anymore because seafood is pretty hygienic and you can eat it and not die but but we still go with that yeah (laughs) and they people take it as like if i do this god is gonna uh i'm gonna have to repent or something but no it's god it's chilling on it (laughs) and i i was talking about uh a lot of like i don't know if they're considered mass hysteria events or just like when you when you find out like the you've heard of the mushroom in the cross theory i haven't so there's an idea that uh there's something in the bible with the burning bush i heard this through joe rogan a couple times but the burning bush was an acacia acacia bush which was high in dmt and so there's a theory that a lot of the visions that people saw were from you know dmt Oh, um, I, I, like Jesus going out into the desert and battling the devil and yeah. shit. If you honestly, if you were there in that day, you might have like forty days and forty nights could have been like it could have meant something totally different, but it got interpreted that way. And yeah. then, like these little things get interpreted into these grand stories with meanings that aren't actually at the time meaningful, which is hilarious. And like mushrooms were super prevalent back then. Like people ate mushrooms to survive and. Yeah, Sometimes dude. they didn't know what was going on when they ate them. Exactly, dude. And it was like common to have those. Like, um, this is hearsay, but um, I was listening to this one podcast. This guy found evidence that like one of the earliest depictions of Jesus was with a wand, like, okay. like, like he's uh, a magi type. Um, and I, I totally believe that. Like, well, with the stoned ape theory, you know. You've, it's just mushrooms everywhere. Yeah. And like, why not? Like, they're just, if you're eating enough of them, you know, and then you realize like, yo, I can figure some shit out. 
you know um i i honestly think that a lot of the old scripts were i don't know can be looked at through a different lens it's a lot more fun if you consider the possibility that these guys are like doing psychedelics and also let's talk about dehydration and malnutrition those can also put you in a pretty hallucinogenic oh, yeah. state and like fasting yeah uh was a big practice um and a lot of i find that um fascinating with native americans they do this the spirit quests and yeah the whole idea is to put you in the woods alone so you're basically experiencing all your fears ever and then you're not able to eat or drink you're mm -hmm. quickly put into a state of hallucinating in the middle of the woods where it's easy to hallucinate it at night but now you're also dehydrated and malnourished so. right and also like um like depriving the senses can make you hallucinate yeah. like it is so easy to get your brain to just wig out oh yeah you know like it really doesn't take much and it's it's impressive that you know we go so long in in one state of consciousness you know yeah in today's society because i feel like I don't know like way back in the day like when we we're like hunting and gathering and shit like that um there would be times where you would go like days without eating and you'd be you'd start seeing shit. you go days without sleep because like the, you, it's not safe out there yeah and then you start seeing shit and it's like i don't know i think a lot of and this isn't to say that there's not meaning i still think meaning is what you ascribe it to be but there's it's not to say that there's not meaning in the things that people um, basically create through their minds. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of stories like mythical stories come out of a, probably a very human place that it, that's more subjective than objective. But if you, I, I like the like the burning bush thing. If there was a a disciple who had some kind of words of wisdom after he didn't know, but he got super fucked up on DMT and people wrote that down and it made sense to them. I don't think I don't think it's the um it it might not necessarily be an objective truth or something that other people be, are able to um learn without i don't know what i'm trying to say here it, it like how easy can he convey this information that he just learned because i totally get that with like i don't know how do you tell somebody who's never tripped about tripping like you you can't really describe it to them yeah you know uh, but if you, I think you can create a story out of it that is relatable to people. Yeah. Especially with um, like a moral angle. And I think that resonates with people, but it also, it comes from a state of subjective conscious. It's not, I don't think it's objective. I think people ascribe, I think it, it's it's like an idea that comes into your head and that idea is just a just a moral blank slate and then when you process it through your mind and through your experiences it becomes a meaningful story that you put out into the world and it means something to other people but 
the idea, I don't think, on its own has any intentions or or morals. I think we ascribe that to people. And most people agree you shouldn't kill other people. Yeah. Most people agree that you shouldn't take things from other people. Like stealing is, I mean, even back in the day, that was like you can get murdered for that. Right. And which is funny because that conflicts with the first thing. But, <laughs> but like, <laughs> like it's not right to kill people. Like that's the big, that's one of the big moral things in our world. However, what do you do if someone is going to kill somebody else? Right. That, that's why that's, that's one of the most like obvious moral, like that's one of the most, the heaviest ideas in my mind when it comes to thinking that morals are totally relative and that there's no absolute in morals. Because if you kill somebody who is going to kill someone else, then that is seen as good. But their killing was bad, yet the killing itself is neither good or bad. However, if you're going to kill somebody because their killing is bad and your killing is good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, who's to say? Because if it, if that went on, well, then who's going to kill that guy? And then I better kill that guy. And then you better kill me. So you have to add this layer of morals on to conclude that this this guy is actually good yet he did kill but he killed for a good reason right and it has to stop there or else the killing won't right because if you kill the good guy now you're the bad guy if you kill the bad guy now you're the good guy right and so like <laughs> there's like practical morality where like okay well if everybody was just killing everybody we wouldn't be around long right. so um practically we need to like not kill each other and, and if we're going to kill each other, then, you know. Well, it's like the days of the, the the conquerors. People like Alexander the Great would take land and kill people for their resources. Right. But he wouldn't kill his own people. He need he wants those resources for his own people. So his own people might see him as good and his enemies might see him as bad. Right. And how can those two morals be equally true at the same time? And then I get down to, well, morals aren't absolute. They're relative to mm -hmm. your situation, your location geographically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and when you really get, like, when if people are really just at their wits end, like, if society collapsed and people are fighting for the people they care about, well, there's just all these little these little fights between people wanting other, or other people's resources and they're doing it for good reasons. And the other people are defending themselves for good reasons. And I, yeah. Do you think there's an absolute good and bad? Um, I believe, I believe that you can debate it. I would argue that, um, everything is like a vibration that we interpret and our interpretation can be, um, I don't know how accurate our interpretation can be. Um, so like, uh, it, the classic one I go to is 
what color is that? You know, and then they say blue. And I say, no, that's red. And they say, no, it's blue. And I'm like, no, I see red, you know? And it's like, if we, like, I could be seeing your red, but we could both be calling it blue also. So, like, and because there are colorblind folk out there, there's, uh, you know, people that just see the world differently. And all we're doing is interpreting our external world, which is entirely vibrational. Like, even, like, I think everything breaks down to just, like, it's it's moving and it's vibrating. Yeah, so isn't aren't aren't colors only colors are interpreted there's no colors until it, it gets to your eye. There's no inter, interpretable colors until it gets to your eye. So your brain kind of makes that color. It it goes to your eye. The wave is a certain color. It, it hits the rods and cones. And then your brain some does something that says that's blue, which right. we've assigned to be blue. Exactly. And, and then there's like, and there's a whole spectrum of it. And so, and then there's, it gets to the, the colors that are like infrared and you can't yeah. see infrared and you can't see ultraviolet. You can feel infrared. The heat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, that's just another part of your body sensing that vibration. Um, and so, yeah, we have a very limited, uh, reach into the spectrum of vibrations we have like there are so many frequencies out there and we're just like this little this little tiny speck of the spectrum is what we can um see here feel and there's all these that are like yeah like Brittany was showing me and i've uh the sound that a black hole makes and it's a pressure wave, so it's not necessarily a sound. And so th- what they did was took the frequency of the pressure wave and they jacked it up like 50-something octaves and then put an artificial sound to it. But we can't actually hear the sound of a black hole. Um, and those waves, there can be waves in space. There doesn't need to be a medium. Um we still don't know a lot about I don't know a lot about space, but we still don't know a lot about <laughs> space. So I would argue that like if there was a um ultimate like bad, it would just be the lowest vibration. So maybe a black hole. You know? If there was an ultimate good, it would be the highest vibration, which is whatever's on the other side of the black hole, you know? Well, a black hole is is like ultimate gravity. Right. It's so strong that not even light, which travels at the speed of itself, can escape. Because light is also a particle. But the opposite of that would be an absence of gravity. If we're just going with a black hole's um, main attribute which would be gravity. So, like, wouldn't the opposite end of the black hole just be spewing shit out? I don't know. Because the opposite would have... The idea of... So, the idea of a black hole is, is still a massive object. So, it it would... In massive meaning, it doesn't matter the size, it matters how dense it is. 
And so theoretically at the center of a black hole is is a very dense object. And so that would just obliterate you. I mean, you'd get obliterated way before you hit the oh yeah, the get, actual object. You get crushed and crushed and crushed and crushed. But it's crazy how it also warps space and time around it. Yeah. And time is time's not that constant. Time is such a it's such a relative thing. And it's I, weird to think about. I I like thinking about weird shit like that. I do too, because I also wonder if we experience time the same. You know, are you actually experiencing me right now, or are you like in a Keith that's five years from now, but on the same timeline? You know, so like you did already do this five years ago, and I'm just now getting here, or maybe it's a difference in our age. You know, it's weird to think that. We can, so we, we know, we know that there was a past, but we can't really ever prove it. Right. Like we can't prove five minutes ago ever happened. I can definitely say that I have memories, but my memories are not evidence. Your memories. Yeah, exactly. They can exist right now. And that's, that's all that can exist ever is right now. Right. Like there's no such thing as five minutes ago. The past exists because this was built. See, I built this. Well, who's said like, you know? Uh, you could just say, even if you're like, I have proof, I video proof that, well, now you have a, a video of it, but like, you can't say that it happened. It's, it's so like, it gets down to like the, uh, just the weeds of things when you, like, you'll never hold up in court. Never. But, but when you're talking, <laughs> when you're talking just like in a, in a situation like this, you realize that you could just never, there's, there's nothing really tangible at all, especially the past. Anything that we feel is just, it's, it's right now. Yeah. It can exist for five minutes, but it only exists right now. Yeah. And that five minutes like happens little at a time. And we're only experiencing, we can only ever experience right now. And so really life is, life is only an instant because we can only ever experience it in the moment, which which is what what brings you to a place of like nirvana. But our human brains don't ever want to get to that place. They're so like resistant to the idea of nirvana. Mm-hmm. We're so resistant to the idea of letting go of ego and identity, even though, and, I, and it probably has to do more with social pressures than, or just the way we just the way we interact in, in a community, like no matter what, like if you have any kind of like decency or like, if you're not always going nuts, like you have a little bit of, of, uh, identity and am I trying to say, I had a train of thought and just went off the tracks. (laughs) If you have any kind of social decency and you want to appear quote unquote normal and just go through everyday life, then you, um, you gotta, you gotta assume that the past is real. Well, there's a little bit of identity and ego to that. There's a little bit of status to that. Like you don't want to appear as the, the nut job or the whatever, even though those people their reality is probably totally fine with them. Yeah. <laughs> like, but 
you don't if you have if you if you want to exist in a community and not appear as like a total invalid or a total like just crazy person then you have to hold on to a little bit of identity and status and like reservation yeah because we we can we i can take a thing like uh we can only exist in an instant and everything's meaningless cuz eventually everything will decay and i can still just i can go about my day and exist in society it's like it's sort of a cognitive dissonance but it's it's necessary to not go completely insane yeah and it kind of makes you think about okay what am i trying to do in life and and if all i had was an instant what would i be doing with it yeah you know i think that's that's what slapped me in the nuts the hardest when yeah. i would when i heard that the first time it was like oh man like if this if this was it right here boom did i do it like am i having am i happy yeah and it's like i might have to shake things up and actually like uh you know, do things the way that you want to do, you know? It's exhausting to live in the moment all the time. Mm-hmm. I think, but I think you can interpret it in a different way. Um, I don't know the way. <laughs> you don't have to be a total monk. But there are some things that are, like, I love the when monks do the mandalas because nobody understands that this beautiful piece, the whole point of this beautiful piece of artwork is to destroy it. Mm -hmm. The Um, impermanence. Right. And people see that as like a waste of time. And it's, I think there's something, what, where are you coming from to assume that it's a waste of time? Like you can go down and figure out why you think it's a waste of time to destroy a piece of artwork. You just spent, days creating um there i don't know there's just a mental block on i'm i like living in america but i know there's a lot of issues with such an independent thinking society and like there's there's definitely like problems with the way American society is set up. We aren't, we, we are, we are set up in a selfish, neither good or bad, selfish, self-interested um, endeavor type society. Like, and selfishness can be good for the rest of people and it can also be bad, but we're very self-indulgent because there's not a lot of, we are set up in a way that we we're comfortable and we're allowed to think for ourselves and we're allowed to do things for ourselves, yet we still can't do any of that without like certain things that society requires, like money and sanity and <laughs> sometimes a car, depending on where you live. Like you have to have these like these specific things in a house. Um I mean, try try preaching an absolute truth to somebody if you don't have an address. <laughs> like people just think you're nuts. Yeah. But if you're rich and you have a house, people think you're just eccentric or something <laughs> and you're like people want to follow you, but if you're just nuts and you don't have those material possessions like yeah, right off. Yeah, and it's like um 
like there is more uh people listen more to like the functional type you know the ones that can navigate society easily and or or pretend to like there's a lot of people that are like you know high up so exhausting yeah it does like i don't know how the hell you're like a like a news reporter and like you have your wits about you all the time you know and like or like these these big uh personalities and like celebrities and shit like that yeah. like to always be expected to be something specific you know and to like i think it's a drug i think so especially i don't i'm not an extroverted person so i'm assuming that the energy i get from introversion is similar to the energy someone gets from being extroverted so someone who's a news reporter which that's a really funky world because you're you're pretty famous but only in a small place Locally. if you go out yeah. of town like nobody knows who you are and nope, that nobody cares <laughs> yeah and you're i mean that's going down the tube too because no one really watches local news but you're you're this like this faux celebrity in only a specific place and then and then you have no identity outside of this place so you want to stay in this place because this is where you get all your energy and i think i think news reporters even more than actors or some shit like local news reporters have some of the biggest heads like yeah i could see that yeah and very self indulgent um and i i since i got um since i've been watching like Instagram reels and TikTok and shit. I'm mm -hmm. seeing how self-indulgent are. It's it's hard to it's hard to describe. It's you're seeing these people who are like who are advertising their mental health problems while also putting on like a perfect face and making these videos. It just seems like yeah. There's a level of narcissism to it. Um, and I think I was just, I think I'm more of an old school type person where you, it's good or bad, but you just keep, I don't know if it's necessarily good to keep your mental health issues or something to yourself, but you don't really ask for help or you don't advertise. So there's, I think there's a level you can, you can, you can totally be public with your, your idiosyncrasies or your mental health problems or you can be totally private with them or you can be somewhere in the middle where you you only share it with people you trust but i think when you get to the point where you're sharing with everybody you start to lose you start to advertise that if you have this issue it's not it's not part of you therefore anything that happens because of it you don't have to own it Oh yeah, kind of like a it being a, a write off or a, an excuse for your actions. Like the old PMS thing, right? Oh yeah. So men are responsible for anything that testosterone controls, like generally. Like yeah. like there's a such thing as toxic toxic masculinity. And the people who engage in behaviors of toxic masculinity, they're viewed not as a product of that, but as themselves being, I don't know, a bad person. But um, we all men think that you should avoid a woman because she's PMSing and she, it doesn't mean anything because it's not her fault. 
it's like, but it's it's still a hormone that, um, like, sexual aggression in teenagers, teenage boys, mm-hmm. that is something controlled by hormones for sure because it's raging at, at those moments. And those people are held fully accountable, which they should be, mm-hmm. for their actions coming from those hormones. But the other side is um, PMSing is seen as a thing as like, be like, I'm a, when, when I have my PMS, I'm a bitch and I'm not apologizing for it. Yeah. So we still yeah. treat. And then you also have like, oh, I did that because I'm a Leo, you know? Uh, yeah. And it's like, like people just want to write off their actions, you know, and they're going to find some way to do that. If they have a mental illness, that just makes it easy. Yeah. You know? There, I think, so, I, I've had some mental issues from back in the day, and I think that, um, a real, a realization that I have some agency over my own self helped me through a lot of it. What do you think, considering you have a stronger mental illness? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm schizoaffective bipolar um, with uh, complex PTSD, but um, so so what that means for me is like I will it's like a bipolar swing of like you go up in a mania, down in a depression, and when I my um, so I do that, and my schizophrenia also does that. And it'll go into like different ways of being schizophrenic. And I, for me, I like to, I like to tell people, and it's a recent thing that I've started doing. I like to tell people when it, if it's relevant, if it comes up, if I'm having like a really noisy day in my head, um, then, you know, it's important to tell my, whoever I'm working with, you know, because it's like, I'm probably not going to be. And, you know, put me on the grill instead of on point because, um, you know, I can't really do the language thing today, but I can cook, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that having – and, like, I'm not writing off, you know, how bad I did on the line because of my schizophrenia. You know, I'm just saying, hey, I'd be better if I went over here, if I did that. And I think that figuring out how to – remain in society and be a functional part is really important to me. So, um, but I have to tell people or else it's, or else I'm going to just be a weirdo to them, you know, but if they know that I'm going through an episode, then it'll be more, um, be more understandable. Mm -hmm. So how, how much of, how much do you identify personally with your, schizophrenia do you think it's part of you um well see i don't even really identify as mace i'm just experiencing him and so it's a part of mace absolutely you can't be mace without being schizophrenic um but i'm not mace i'm i'm just experiencing him so who is when you say I, who is I to you? I is the observer. And then 
like, yeah, I don't know. It's something that like, I've kind of like from my ego deaths on mushrooms and stuff, it's, I've grown this separation where like, cause like I'll go into a dream cause I lucid dream a lot and then I'll, a lot of times I'll relive the day in a different way. You know, and so like I get to experience a bunch of different maces and they're not all schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. This one is. And so that's where I'm like, I think I might be a part of masonness or maceness, but I am not this mace. I think masonry yeah. masonry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How when you let's say when you are feeling a an emotion and then you cry who who is that emotion or do you, do you know what i'm trying to say where am i at in that yeah where's where's mace or where like so if if you're observing mace then where are where's the observer um so the way my brain works is i'm in front of a um a, a bunch of screens right and um, this is the main one. But then I have all these other ones that are like outside of my periphery that are my thoughts. And so when I'm having those emotions and experiencing the body, the body might be what's crying. And, I'll, and I might, as a mind, not be crying. But my body needs to cry, so I'm, I'm going to cry. Or sometimes it'll be like, I'm crying because it's usually like it's a body thing for me. Um, most of my sad emotions are. So it, it's hard to define because you could just, I think you can separate yourself so much from different parts of you to experience it, you know, but then you have to identify with another part of it it's like if i identified with the body and i'm trying to experience the mind then i'm not focusing on the body you know so like where does the desire to let's say want to be healthy your body healthy like where does that desire come from for you um For me, which it, is a fleeting desire, I'll say, because yeah. not everybody wants to be healthy. That shit is really yeah. easy to, to be like, fuck that. That's too hard. Um, so it could be like, it's easier to be in my body if I'm more healthy. Because, um, like, if you're in a body that, you know, the stomach always hurts and he's shaky and he, you know, whatever, then that sucks and I don't want to be in that body. Yeah. So um, I'm going to do something about it. And if I'm in a mind that is, you know, constantly uh, being yelled at by the, by the voices or, like, if I'm seeing too much color in my life, um, then I need to do something about that and uh, augment my state of consciousness into a mind that is easier to be in. So I'm in my mind and I'm in my body, but I am neither my mind nor my body. 
There is no I. There is no I. I don't exist. I is just used practically. Yeah. Okay. I, like, yeah, I don't think I exist. So speaking of like a a subjective morality, why why even um, do the work of steering this mind and body? Because it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just here because it's fun. And I guess well, that's a good attitude, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so some of the gifts of, of being a human being are experiencing like elation and happiness mm-hmm. and joy. joy. And, and joy being the most powerful of them because I think um, there's, I think when people want to be happy, they really mean I want to have joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and joy meaning like you don't have to be smiling to experience joy. Like you don't right. have to be laughing. Happy is just happy is one of those like tertiary emotions that like it's it's just as much as happy is just as good as like sad, but joy is like on this different level of where um joy is like I always forget this fucking quote, but it's so good. It's like uh joy is the happiness no matter ha- being happy or not happy but let's just use happy for practical purposes being happy no matter what's going on that's what joy is not necessarily being happy but like not being totally swung in different directions emotionally by what is happening around you and still having this this foundation of joy where you where you think from yeah and i think that that is a choice you know like you choosing to be happy you know choosing to use this thought instead of that thought because this thought brings me joy that thought brings me depression yeah i like how the buddhists broke it down to where like every everything is suffering the root of all things is suffer so if everything is suffering then if you can somehow change your perspective on what suffering is, then you can you can be the master of your own or your own like perspective on the world. And I and that's where you get to nirvana is 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 realizing that life is suffering and um to live is to suffer. Which is weird because the one thing you do as a monk, a Buddhist monk, is suffer constantly Mm -hmm. because that is the point to get to that nirvana. You can think about it as a thought experiment, but the only way to do it is for your body and your mind to experience the suffering. Valuable, but very, it's not an appealing idea to most people to intentionally discomfort themselves. Yeah, and I think... I don't know. I think some people are more choosy about what they want to experience. But if you think about suffer, if you would, uh, if you take anything and you say, "Is that suffering or not?" Then, if you break it down so simply, you can have a a pretty. It, it makes the door to um, mental agency much more easily easily openable. I think. If you think that, like, going for a run is suffering, um, so if suffering 
I'm trying to say. See, this is the reason I get a podcast more. Is my brain is just <laughs> fucking awful lately. I hear you. I've been. I get like maybe during the week. I get like three or four hours of sleep a night. Yeah, I'm. I'm back at like 11 p.m. I wake up at like 4 a.m. Keep Jeez. going. Jeez, <laughs> not legal. And honestly, going down and do the Texas thing, I'll be making more money and sleeping a lot more as well. And I'll be taking more days off, hopefully. But it's also going to mean. I think it'll be more time at home, but less consecutive. Like I'll be out for, uh, takes like three to four days to get to Texas, three or four days to come back, take like six days off and do it all over again. So more time at home, but less consecutive days at home. Yeah. But this fucking little game I'm playing of trying to, uh, make some money to afford life is, is difficult. Yeah, dude, I've been, like wanting to DoorDash and like I don't know if it's even smart to like I'm like I'm, I'm like at the point where most of the time I'm not even making much money after yeah. I pay for gas mm -hmm. so it's it's getting ridiculous out there I the the crazy thing is is at this point in the trucking industry most people are trying to get out and I still now on a I like playing this game in society where you try to do like create a business and make more money and blah, blah. I like the game and I'm, I'm not interested in just being like, okay, I'm done with it. I can't make enough and, and all this. I want to actually make something out of it to where we can afford to fucking buy a house in Spokane. And yeah. And I, I don't never once has the thought crept into my mind where I think I'll just go back to the easier life of of just having a job and getting paid by someone else. Even though right now I'm currently losing money slowly every week, I, that thought is not even creeping into my mind because I love being able to do this on my own. Um, however, now I need to adapt because the things I've been doing that have worked that have been working are now not working. So now I have to adapt. And I'm, this is the only, really the only thing in my life that I've ever given thought to like, this is more of a delayed gratification thing. Like, usually I'm, I like instant gratification, right? Right. Um, Everyone does. Right. I know that there's, uh, people are more successful when they understand that the best gratification is delayed. Mm -hmm. And this is really the only thing I've ever done that I'm like, okay, this is just going to take a while but I don't ascribe this as being my identity but it's something that I can do in society and exist in society to where I don't ever dread going in and trucking I don't I've had plenty of jobs where I'm like god I wish I was dying yeah. <laughs> but I need to pay some bills so I gotta I used to make a thousand dollars a month working at Walgreens mm. And half of that was rent and the other half was food. And now I'm trying to make a thousand bucks a day. Still hard. But now I'm at the point where I can do that because I'm not like when you dread going into work, you are like thinking about like, how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Yeah. How am I going to, how am I going to dread every day for the rest of my life? Or like, what's, what are my next steps going to be? How yeah, can I, I get out of here? I think that's what really pushes people. And some people say it, um, you know, this should be, so when you, th I, 
I don't ascribe like people want a living wage for working. A wage is a price and prices are affected by supply and demand. So if a job pays seven twenty five an hour, or let's let's even make it more, because minimum wage is a minimum, and so in Washington it's twelve fifty something like the fourteen dollars an hour minimum wage fourteen something. So the minimum wage isn't even affecting the labor market in Washington. The law is because there's a price floor on it, but. That is what the market is paying. And even some people, even what would be minimum wage jobs are paying more than like McDonald's. You can $15 an hour to work at McDonald's mm-hmm. because that is what the labor market is paying. Despite the fact that there's a minimum wage, they could put seven twenty five an hour, but nobody would go to work for them because there are other easily, easily attainable jobs that are paying more. Yeah. And, and it also price floors are weird because they affect with wages, they affect other people. Like people that are making $16 an hour, all of a sudden the minimum wage is $15 an hour. Well, those people automatically feel like, well, I'm getting stuffed here, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like I've been, I worked up to $16 an hour and these people just got it. And um, people from Idaho are affected by the wage market because $7.25 an hour is the minimum in Idaho. And they could easily just, drive over the border and work in Washington and get paid a lot more. Yeah. Um, so when government gets involved in like economics of things, it gets a little screwy, but where's I going with this? Um, I had a point. I don't know what my point was. Hmm. How did I start that? Yeah, I do. How did um, I start that? Though? <laughs> we're talking about trucking. And moved on to well, here's the price uh, of things and the grind. Yeah. So this is probably going to drift off from what I was intentionally sa- originally saying, but now that I own a business, I'm in, I'm affected. I don't I don't get paid on a scale. I my earnings are subjected to the market forces. So. If the market's doing really well, then I get paid a lot more. If the market's suffering, now I'm suffering. And I have to take it upon myself to adapt instead of trying to fight the market because the market is just people. Like, that's why I always say capitalism is not even a system. Right now in America, we have a crony capitalism, which is... Big businesses are tied in with the government. They push laws that affect them beneficially and kind of screw people with less power, like small businesses. Right. So that's not real capitalism is the government not being involved in economic activity. And when you have that, what you have is people trading with one another. And that's why I always like capital there's some greed to it yes because greed is what drives people to produce things that other people want to buy and greed can be good it can be bad but if you go to vietnam which is 
officially a communist country. Economically, they're completely capitalist. You can get really cheap things because everybody is selling the same thing. You can go drive down a road and everybody's selling oranges. There's five people selling oranges. Well, you're going to get bottom price on that because if some guy's trying to sell it for a dollar, some guy's going to try to sell it for 99 cents. Right. And, and it just, that's how people work. And that's what capitalism is, is just a lack of a system altogether. And it's what happens when the government gets out of people's economic activity. Um, same thing in trucking. People constantly, constantly complain that they complain when something isn't benefiting them. When it's benefiting them, it's the market. Like now supply and demand is a thing. But when it's not, there's some corporate greed like the, the fuel prices, right? So um, oil companies are making record earnings now since the cost of fuel is so high. And people say it's corporate greed. Every, but no one, no one said anything about it when the prices of gas were during the pandemic when they were a dollar. Right now, when it was in their favor, it was just supply and demand. When it's not in their favor, it's someone is behind this, keeping the fuel prices high. Well, and oil companies are part of like a cartel, so I I don't know how much this. But usually, when the prices are high of a certain thing then someone else is easily able to get into market and then charge less for that thing. And that's like a domino effect and it brings the prices down. It evens out things like supply and demand usually evens out things. But when, when people start getting involved with their, their shady shit, like, like OPEC and those are cartels, meaning they work together to control the supply of something. And then they start lobbying governments, which control regulations to make the like try to build a business in California you will there's no such thing like if you want to start a business in downtown LA um, the only people or the only entities that can do that are giant corporations because it's cost so much to get the permits it costs it's like two or three years of waiting and and you'll never make it as a small business in, in LA because of the regulations and corporations lobby for that because they don't want the small business competition. Right. And really f crazy is even small businesses do that. They become part of associations. It's big in like the uh, hairdressing industry okay. and the uh, nail industry. They become part of this association. And what they do is they, they make you become a member. If you're not a member of this association, you can't start this business because you have to be you have to get the certification or whatever, mm. and it makes it harder for people to get in. And they lobby to have less competition. Less competition means more control over a market, higher higher earning potential for the people who are already in there, but harder for people to get in. Um, luckily, trucking is not like that. It's pretty easy to get into, but it also drives rates down, which now you have to be adaptable. You have to... Right. To really fucking work. Yeah, and figure it out. Yeah, especially with fuel prices so high. It costs me almost a dollar to go a mile. Oh, my God. Yeah. If it gets up to six twenty a gallon, then it'll be a dollar a mile. Because I get, I get 6.2 miles to the gallon. Jeez. And so I got to make at least $3 a mile overall, including empty miles, to be able to get to the place where I want to be. But... 
that's just all, you know, human desire. It's, you know, has nothing to do with my spirit or anything like that. <laughs> it does help, though. It, it, like, back in the day, like, the one of the reasons that agriculture bought, brought on a, like, a, a renaissance of, of art and, like, people didn't have to take so much time out of their day and so much energy to find food. And what does that do? It just, it allows you to, to do something else or it allows you to enter other parts of your brain that are not trying to feed yourself. Exactly. That are more creative. Yeah. That's um, when, when in times of, of, of surplus, there tends to be more trivial problems because people don't have the, the mortal problems. Yeah, that's when we start debating like identity and stuff. Right. Yeah, it's I mean, oh, what a luxury. <laughs> yeah, like, God, it's so good that we, I'm I'm mad that you called me this. Like, yeah. But it's also fascinating to see because you, um, you, so when you're, when you're such, when you're in a time of such surplus, you can start arguing little things, but these little things to someone else may be the most important thing to you. And I think Joe Rogan says, but the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And that could be someone who's dying of starvation could have the same level of fear, anxiety that someone who is, who is uh, getting their identity threatened, even though Mm -hmm. one person is, is, is probably going to die. And the other person is just going to, have some some mental anguish, mm-hmm. but it's the same the same emotional or mental response to to wildly different issues because there's different like points and relative life circumstances that people are coming from, and it's fascinating when when uh, people with very little tend to be at least when they're fed and and stuff they they tend to be happier or more joyful to a certain extent yeah and it's like it's like a trampoline dude like how do you get up go down yeah (laughs) that is true (laughs) and then oh you want to go higher go lower yeah go lower (laughs) want to touch the clouds you better touch the ground yeah trampoline's gonna split yeah um it could happen or your knees go out yeah might just face plant, but dude, you might you're gonna have fun up until then. I watch these documentaries on on the, the deadliest roads in the world, and and usually it's in poor countries where the government just does not care about the roads, and people are trying to make a living by shuttling people or or freight to villages around the world, and 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 they're just dealing with the worst things. They have, I mean, people are driving vehicles from the '60s and '70s that they're just barely running, and Smile on her face. <laughs> like, we just got stuck. It's all right. Someone will come help. And it's weird how that exists in a in a place of such, like, what we would view as misery. Mm-hmm. But we would only view it as misery because we have We'd be a, miserable in their position. And but, and our foundation is, like, uh, the our hedonic treadmill is 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 on a different level. Like we're starting at a different place. So we're starting at a higher level of comfort. Once that comfort becomes discomfort, well, we need to keep seeking the higher level of comfort. If we drop down right. to their level of comfort, 
and we're really uncomfortable. Oh yeah. So it's, and that's why it's, it's like, if you get yourself into a point of intentionally making yourself suffer, then you can start to see like the absolutes of being a human being, not necessarily good or bad, but just the, the, uh, the raw human condition. Cause I think when people say like kids nowadays would never be able to exist when we did, I think they would if they were brought up then because they just have a different level of perspective. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, and that's why like, like, oh, you're mad at your grandpa for being a racist. Well, I bet you would be a racist if you lived his life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um. So and- I think that in you know if you put yourself in anyone's position like their position is like their past also you yeah. know like you yeah yeah you can't say oh i'd never do that and if you know like if you're them maybe yeah you know obviously it's possible right yeah it's it's i think it's just short-sighted to say that that someone wouldn't be capable of this thing because they are at a higher level of, they were, you know, brought up at a higher level of comfort. I think, I think people can do a lot of things when they're stripped of comfort. Yeah. Um, a lot of people can't, but I think a lot of people really can. And if you start at just a, if you start at a really comfortable place in life, then like you either need to do some work or, or just write it out. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it is not your, I don't know. I, th- I think it's very valuable to, um, I think people actually at a higher level of comfort seek out discomfort probably a lot more than people yeah. who are. I bet they're the ones that are into like balls stepped on by right. women. And, yeah. And you can do something like, you know, take a cold shower. You don't have yeah, to get your balls stepped on. Right. But. but like if like you're so comfy that you need to experience the equivalent of uncomfy, then like you've got a lot of uncomfortable shit to go through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wish I had a, we do have a pool, but it's not ideal. And I think it opens at nine. But if I could jump into a cold pool every morning. Now I have to get to that place of, of willing myself to do that, which is hard enough, but doing that only makes you think of that in the moment because all your senses are like the shit's cold. You don't think about anything else. And I, but then you're entirely present. Right. Yeah. I I think that's the point to get entirely present. If you can do that without subjecting yourself to that, Mm -hmm. that's, that's like pretty high level shit, but you have to do those things, which I think, that's what the the that's what the monks do is they intentionally suffer because they can't just get to nirvana without not yet get to that nirvana without doing that suffering. Yeah. Um and like Siddhartha was like a prince that was never exposed to suffering. He always lived in the palace. Right. And then I mean, he had concubines out the hoo ha, dude. Like yeah. he was set up for life and um he tried everything too. He's like, I'm gonna try these uh these different cults and religions and see what happens and Yeah. I I don't know what I gotta go back and read um Siddhartha, but the ascetics 
were really interesting because they were all about like pain and shit. Right. Yeah. And he tried that stuff for a long, for yeah. a while. It's like 10 years or some shit. Just eating bird shit and rice granules. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. But I wonder what, what the impetus was for him to be like, this is not the path. Well, okay. So the, the story goes that um, he was meditating by a, a river and there's a musician and his apprentice like on a boat just like going by and the musician um, was explaining like tuning mm -hmm. this um, lute or something and uh, he's explaining that if you tighten it too tight it'll be out of out of tune with the rest of the strings but if you tighten so too loose harmony. it'll also be out of harmony yeah. yeah and so when you but when it's the middle the middle path yeah. is what he said is when it's in the middle then it will be in harmony so, so the aesthetics were one side of the extreme exactly and then the people who aren't trying or the people who live without pain are the other end of the extreme mm. and the people in the middle that live with pain and pleasure both that's the middle path and that's kind of what siddhartha that was like his big revelation when he that's smart when he was like i think i figured it out yeah it's the middle path the thing i like about buddhism is the lack of idolization mm -hmm. totally human there's no deity right um but what's weird is that even though there's no deity it still has similar attributes as religions with deities like Taoism and Hinduism and Christianity. It's even though like the prophets are sort of seen as gods. Mm -hmm. Um, yet there was no, there was no prophets in, in Buddhism. There's just the first Buddha. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they ever spoke of deities, right? Um, no idolization. No, they kept it pretty secular. That's the one thing about Christianity that I appreciate is is pride is a sin because pride is like an idolization or a, uh, like if you idolize Jesus where well, that kind of goes against the whole idea of. Yeah. And there's, there's a little bit of a uh, Siddhartha in that. I think <laughs> there's a little bit of like pride is a sin, but people don't see it usually as a sin. Pride is like taking, uh, being too self-indulgent or being too, or identifying too much with a, a humanly version of yourself versus yeah. a, um, a spirit of the world. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's, I, I, I don't, why do you think pride, like pride is seen as a good thing usually? Yeah, I think that's Except like. you be white because that's <laughs> my pride. But that, yeah, now, um. Then you've also got like, um, I, I actually thought about this this morning before I came over. Um, uh, like, definitely pride is one of those things that like a little bit of is, uh, is healthy, but um, it's, it's very easy to recognize when someone is prideful, you know? Um, because you should definitely be proud of, you know, what you've done, uh, if it's good, 
but uh, you should also be humble, you know? And then you have, yeah. like... Yeah, pride kind of, like, steps on humility to if you let it to a certain point because I, it... Yeah. Uh, it sort of makes you think that you know more or you think you're better to a certain extent mm-hmm. than other people. That and you're over, you're yeah. above someone. Yeah. Um, yeah, the pride one's always, glutton's easy. Don't eat too much, but we've already yeah. done way too much of that. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, pride is the only one that's weird because pride is, is universally seen as something good. And if you think of it like, can you be too proud or can you... When is pride? Um, when does pride become a bad thing? It's when you you set yourself up as better than I yeah. think, or 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 get rid of the idea of that you should be humble. Um, and I think it's also stepping on other people's pride, because like if you're not, I don't know, if. Yeah, and it's like self and like being so like full of yourself and caught up in yourself that like there's no room for anyone else. That you forget the creator. Yeah, like then then okay, dude, be humble. <laughs> yeah. Is idolatry a sin in Christianity? Which is weird cuz like people should idolize have, Jesus. You should have no other gods before me is one of the 10 commandments. Interesting. That is total idolatry. Yeah. What could that mean? Could you interpret that without well, shitting on your own religion? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not anything really. Yeah, so, no. Um so it's like you should have no other gods before me. He didn't say you should have no other gods. Just don't put them before the creator, you know. So like fuck if your god is Thor, if yeah. your god is Odin or, you know, uh, Shiva, whoever. Just don't put them before the, whoever it was that made everything. But what if your G-O-D is Odin? Well, if see, if Odin made everything, and, and Odin wrote the Bible and stuff like that, or had the... Yeah, it'd be tricky. So, like, if you, you could... I feel like with that rule, and it could have been misinterpreted but uh, I feel like Christianity should be a little more open ended you know I think so I think a lot of it gets mucked up in the fact that it's it's such a such a human such a church driven religion yeah it's um, like usually when people talk shit about Christianity it's things about the church not necessarily the religion. Right. It's like they're all pedophiles. Well, that's that's a product of the church. That's it's the people that yeah. you're talking about. It's not I don't um as far as I know, God didn't say go fuck babies. No. But I mean, you might interpret something that way and that's the problem with interpretation is you, you could probably interpret it, interpret the Bible any way you want. What I find fascinating is uh Satan is a part of Christianity. If you're a Satanist, you're technically a Christian. Yeah. Like, I mean, naturally you have to believe in the duality of it, right? Right. Because there's there's no evil you, without a good. You're just picking the other side. Right. And it's fine. Like, yeah. you're still, it's not, I don't think it would be like 
all that separate. It would just be an, an extension of it. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, a god should be neither good or bad because there's way too many ways to interpret it, good or bad being handed down from a, a deity. That's why I think nature, nature does not care about you, but it can also save you. Like, if you're in the woods alone, if you have the knowledge to to pick the right things to eat, you can survive. Mm -hmm. but, but being in that same exact nature can kill you. Nature is not going to save you. Um, and nature is sort of like a, a version of, of God. I don't think I don't think God's interested in saving you or killing you. I think it's, I don't know if there's a, there's a real point, but there's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I think religion is just a path for people, and that path usually leads to more directed outcomes in life and more meaning in life. Yeah, and per perhaps it's you know more happiness. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, but I think that, and what's cool is like, there's a lot of people that identify as Christian and Buddhist. And like, cause they are not mutually exclusive. Like, you can't, you can't be uh, Muslim and Christian, mm -hmm. um, or Christian and Hindu. Which is weird, cause they're like pretty similar books, right? And like I, I know the Torah, the what do you call it? The Bible, the Torah, and the Quran, Quran are are very very similar. Yeah. Um, and they all came from the same geographic region. Mm -hmm. Fascinating stuff, right? I would love to go to the Middle East. Yeah, me too. Come on, I was I watched this guy. He's a YouTuber, and he goes to the weirdest, most quote unquote dangerous places. But he when he gets there, he's like, it's actually pretty nice here. <laughs> he went to like Iraq. He went to Libya, Afghanistan. He's in Ukraine right now. Wow. Um, just like videoing the destruction. Um, I mean, there's times where he's gotten scared, like when he was in Libya. <laughs> Um, Libya is a crazy place because, I mean, they've just been without any kind of direction for, for years. There's actually like slave markets there. And he was filming in this town square and the, the cops, um, showed up and took him for questioning and stuff. And he's like, the cops were like very welcoming and warm. He's just like, we we saw you filming and we just wanted to know your intentions. Like you, you are totally welcome here. We just don't want Libya to be seen as like a terrible place. And we don't, we just don't know what you're doing and we want to know. And they ended up like being really nice to him and gave him a ride back to his hotel and everything. They're like, we just, we've had a, a troubled history with Gaddafi and we don't want to be seen as like a terrible place anymore. We're rebuilding and we're getting better. And, yeah, we just don't want to see as like be still seen as a failed place. Yeah, so don't don't watch us trade slaves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. That, yeah, it's that's way up north. <laughs> yeah, we don't know the people, but then he went to like Afghanistan and just people were just hanging out, doing daily life things, and they're like just the best place on earth. It's like yeah, we got we had a little bit of trouble, but I wouldn't change it. Like we love 
like he was with his uh they call them fixers fixers are your your local guide when you get to a place if you hire somebody they can translate for you they can show you around and they were talking to this guy who was selling um uh cranberries or some kind of pomegranates he was selling pomegranates in the park and he's like i used to make you know enough to feed my family now i'm really struggling and all this shit and then uh they walked away and his fixer stayed behind and talked to the guy. He's like, I can give you some money and, 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 you know, you know, buy some pomegranates for you, but I'll, I'll give you more than, than what you want. He's like, no, I'm not taking any of your money. You have a guest. And it's like that, um, it's crazy when you travel to those Muslim places, but they are very, very welcoming and warm to guests. Um, even if you're American, like they won't, even if they're poor, they won't try to take money from you. As far as I know, they'll like invite you into your house and feed you and all kinds of weird shit. Hmm. It's that's why I want to, I would actually like to see places like that for myself. And oh, yeah, I mean, the news you get bullshit always. Yeah. And like, I, I traveled through Mexico, like just on taxis by myself for a month. And I went up through the, the Pacific coast, which is like, the uh that's the major drug trafficking routes and before i even did that i've heard i heard stories about like people i mean you're constantly there's constantly uh the cartels are pulling over buses and trying to take everything from people and shit like that and that just happened like right before i went but i still went up there and didn't happen to me but if it did all you gotta do is give them if you don't hide your money in your crotch or something you just gotta give them your money yeah (laughs) they're not they're not really interested in killing you or kidnapping you but They'll take what they can get as far as money. Um, That's good. Yeah, and I experienced it for myself, and mostly when you go to countries like that, people are just staring at you constantly, but not with ill intentions. It's just like, you just look different. what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, I went to this one place. I thought it was like a beach town, but it turned out to be like a big refinery town. So I was the only white dude in town. I showed up and ordered some food, and they're like, everybody's just looking at me. I was like... This is not the right place, but uh, I don't think anyone's here to fuck with me. Just a local industrial town. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's really cool to see those places for yourself. And when you hear like, oh, if you go to Mexico, you're going to get kidnapped or you're, um, he went to Honduras, which is, he went to like the worst places in Honduras and they hold the moniker for murder capital of the world. And he just went with somebody. He's like, this is where you don't go. This is where you go. You can talk to the people that are, you just really got to just be smart about where you go and who you talk to and and stuff like that. But mostly people, the majority of people aren't, don't have ill intentions towards you. I can't say the same for if you're a small female, but yeah, (laughs) be a different story. Yeah. So it's it's nice when that guy traveled it's it's just fascinating to see like um just the differences in in what people say versus what's actually going on a lot of poor people just they just want to like they just want to live you know they don't they're not trying to take your money to the certain extent you might overpay a little bit for like a few cents but <laughs> i'll take that over like i don't know gas prices yeah. <laughs> but 
Yeah, you and uh, you and Brittany should start a podcast. Um, you guys are welcome to use and make this room however you want. It's no longer mine. It's the world's now because I don't use it enough. And it's tapestries. I like. I especially like this one. Yeah, it's this funky. one's like really when fun I to look at. When I see that one, I constantly think about spacey shit. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know what people. I've never been on that side, so I don't know what people think of this. But I think it's pretty. It's really pretty. I uh, I think of uh, like like uh, murder porn. Okay, you I know? wasn't thinking that. I was thinking like, of you know beautiful landscapes. Oh, I was too, but it, like it just has that kind of dark ambiance. Like this could be like a zoom in of like uh, you know some. I don't know. Well, you know what it is. It's uh, have you heard of Ansel Adams? Yeah, he's a f- photographer, and he exclusively did uh, black and white film mm-hmm. photography. And a lot of his photography had uh, filters to where. There would be like a lot of contrast, and the skies would usually be very like dark contrast. And for some reason, I'm just attracted to that. Yeah, for some reason, it's giving me like murder documentary vibes. I could see that. You know? Yeah. I don't know how I feel about black and white photography because color is variety, but there's something too black and white that's just refreshing. You don't get the same contrast with color. Yeah, it's true. You know, I wonder why I'm attracted to that. Yeah, well, you just see about a bunch of green and maybe some blue. Yeah, all you see is white and grayscale. Uh, so it'd be pretty bluish. Yeah, that's really cool. That's always dreamy. I like that shit. Yeah, I like the where moon. you put the light in it. <laughs> yeah, which I never use. Um, but yeah, what do you uh, what do you got? You want to do your own yeah, solo? I want to. It'd be like solo and mixed. Okay. Um, bring some friends on, maybe. I want to. So it'll be called the Stone Dape Social Hour, and we're gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about my um, psychedelic experiences, and um, bring on other people to talk about theirs, and we're gonna, you know, talk about overlapping stuff. It'll basically be like. Um, like my research project from college, but like, you know, reimagined as a podcast rather yeah. than a sociological interview based research project. I think it's cool because like you can you can really when you're talking in a microphone and you have someone else in your ear like this, mm-hmm. you can usually travel ideas travel through ideas much better than you can when you're just um, just talking in a regular space. Um, even if it's like, I think Brittany and I talk better, have better arguments when we're talking like this mm-hmm. versus when we're just talking about shit upstairs. Yeah, it definitely puts a different... Um... I don't want to say like intensity to it, but I think it's a more open mindset it gives you. And and there's even though I don't think a lot of people listen to this, there's there's that factor of someone's someone's listening. Right. So I I shouldn't uh lose composure or something like exactly. that. Exactly. I shouldn't go too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So do you have a space that you you're going to use and shit? Um 
Yeah, I see. I need to figure out how to. I have an audio interface, um, and a microphone and a stand. Um, we might have an extra room in the house, um, and if not, I'll just use it. I'll just do it on my bed, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, and I'll uh, I'll just do it solo. But eventually, it'll be in my RV, oh, and nice, I'm gonna. Yeah. Um, just have it set up in the back and um yeah that'll be fun too because then if i'm like ever traveling around and i'm like and i meet a really dope person yeah i'd be like dude can you come just like be on my podcast for an hour yeah come <laughs> in know? my van man <laughs> yeah yes yeah, i got candy yeah exactly. um, <laughs> definitely have some candy there though definitely um so you uh when you're doing like if you're in your room and shit this is just getting technical but you know, the dynamic microphones, the handheld ones, mm-hmm. those are better for that kind of stuff because they don't pick up a lot of outside shit. Yeah. These are great if you have a silent space like this because they're not picking up the echoes and the, the, I mean, there's, I can't really hear anything outside of this room when I close the door, which is fucking cool. Glad I did that. Right. And if I, if I blast music in here, I can't hear it outside. So... I set this up pretty cool to where the the sound quality is really good when you're recording. But you can get pretty decent sound quality with just one of the handheld microphones if you don't have a space like this. Um, And those microphones are usually pretty cheap. And, yeah, it would just work better for, like, a a loud space or something. Um, These just pick up everything all around. Right. It's really... A higher quality than that would be. Yeah, and they're actually powered versus the dynamics, which aren't, un- they're unpowered. Um, but you're welcome to come in here anytime you want. You just have to make sure you get a battery charged. Right. Um, and I'll keep that on the charger, but I usually leave the garage key upstairs. So, yeah, you and whoever you want are more than welcome to come in here. Hell yeah, dude. Podcast and do your own shit. You can set up one of these little pads. Oh, for a theme song? Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fucking simple to do. Um, So, yeah, if you want, ever want to get, like, a... And you're not set up to do it yet, get a high-quality podcast going, just come in here and do it. That'd be so cool. That's I, I do. You're probably limited to about two hours on battery with that battery. I plan yeah, on getting who a... Who wants to listen to a podcast much longer than yeah. that? <laughs> well, I do plan on... Uh, they take a, lo- a long time to recharge, but I do plan on getting a... I, the battery I used to use in here, I ended up putting on one of my trucks. Um, so I want to get another one. It's a deep cycle marine battery, and they last a long time. And it's better to have two to run the fans if you're smoking up in here. Mm-hmm. More than welcome to smoke in here and do crack, cocaine, whatever you want to do. God bless. <laughs> you got a smooth table for that. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, what uh, you and Brittany would probably have a pretty interesting podcast. Yeah, no, especially if we were smoking. Because when you guys, you guys just talk incessantly when you're upstairs, just yeah. talking about shit. So you should, uh, and even if you want to get later on down the line, if you want to get into like visuals and shit, you can, there's all these cool programs where you can put shit on the screen and stuff. It gets a little complex, but um, that would be, I think that would be really fun for you guys to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't, know, yeah. what, don't know what we're going to call it yet, though. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Neither does she. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I need to get in here more or, or at least just even on the road podcast more and just what I call take the trash out because there's a lot of shit. Like, I'm sure you do this all the time, but you go through these theoretical situations in your head that that actually bring on emotional responses <laughs> that, yeah. I, that are bad for you because they don't it, belong. Yeah. And if you, what really helps is if you have a certain feeling or reaction to something, but you don't know how to put it into words. If you do it on a podcast, it helps you to find the words a little bit easier. Sometimes you're just leaving it silent for a minute or so, but yeah, it helps you like journaling helps me do that. It helps me write down things. If I just start writing and I don't have any intention of, I just keep writing until like I end up fleshing out my own ideas and seeing where I'm wrong or right or something like that. It ends up like just clearing, just taking all the excess, trimming the fat from all of my, my mental, I don't know bullshit yeah i'm i'm the same way but i i tried the journaling thing and like it's just too hard to like visually like do the words and stuff yeah um so if i'm if, that's why i just talk so much yeah i mean view it as a just a an audio journal and, and exactly it'll probably put you in that space to where you can just you can just vomit shit <laughs> that you don't even like the one of the when I was friends with Ben and we would have a podcast, he would constantly be like, I don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, that's just no fun because like the more you talk about things that you're uncomfortable talking about or the more you express views that you think are controversial, like the more able you are to like grow from those. Yeah. And, yeah. And and better think about them like. I just like me, I think most people, if they express an opinion, they're afraid they're not well equipped enough to defend that opinion. Yeah. And well, because a lot of people haven't thought about it very in depth, you know? Yeah. They just go with their initial like reaction to well, it. And, what other people are doing, and they don't think about why they would say that or believe that. Right. And then people like identify with their, their positions on things. It's like, that's not very that's not a quality of life. If yeah, you're just identifying yeah. with a, a, a an opinion. Like, I don't know. I think uh, I think this, when I have done it, it helps me much more grow mentally and and intellectually. And then it makes me want to do other things intellectually, like read these fucking books that I haven't read. Yeah, because now you're down here and you're staring at them while you're talking. And like, <laughs> there's some good-ass information in that shit, and I have not tackled it yet. Yeah. Um, and even stuff like, I have to set aside time to read stuff that I really don't want to get involved in. Like there's that um, state uh, utopia or what's the first word? Something state and utopia. Oh, anarchy. Anarchy, state and utopia. And it's, it's supposed to be like a really, it's a libertarian s like libertarian esque book that's supposed to be really informative to like free markets and society and, okay. and, and liberal societies. And I just haven't, I'm not usually not in the mindset to get into something like that, but yeah. And I've recently been like, so like a few weeks ago, I was just like, just a sleepy hermit and you know, 
And then like this whole last week, my brain has just been turned on. I started reading this book that my uh, work manager gave or let me borrow. Uh, it's The Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Um, and it's like a, it's like an inside look at like how, you know, what it's like being a cook and like the life they lead and like what shit you have to deal with. And it's apparently a pretty fucking crazy life. Yeah. No, it's like, I, and I've only been like a cook for, you know, under two years. So I wonder if the reason why that's such a, like the underbelly of that is so can be so wild, like drug use and and partying and shit like that is because, well, A, you're working when other people are having fun. Yeah. And B, usually people that are cooks come from like a, not a very affluent background. Right. So, um, and then you're like mingling with the fucking waitresses and shit. and Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's just like, even like the, like high class restaurants. If you go into the kitchen, it's it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not very classy back there. Yeah, uh, Bourdain. Uh, I forget the quote exactly, but he some, said something about being the captain of a captain of a pirate crew. You uh, know, yeah. and it's yeah. like that's basically the vibe in there. It's just like yeah. a bunch. It's a motley of men that just like <laughs> I don't know. It's a takes a certain type of person to be a cook and to like. Do well and enjoy it. Yeah. Because, you know? like, you could you could be a cook that hates his fucking life. Very easy to do. Like, I, the only time I, I enjoy being a cook is when it was really busy and, and things were going right. Mm-hmm. Once things start, like, once. Once they go off the rails, it's, oh. It's, it's, it's such, like, a fine line, too, between, like, if you fuck up one order, that fucks up the rest of the night. Like, it messes with your flow and, yeah. and the rest of the night goes to shit. If you can't get your flow back, dude, you're fucked. Yeah. But, like. When when I was a pizza cook, when we were really busy and I was just throwing pies in the oven and shit, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, we but were, I'm just slinging patties, flipping burgers. And yeah. Like, but then I see those people nowadays and I'm like, I can never fucking do that shit again. We went to Frank's Diner the other day. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I, like especially standing right in front of people, I can never do that shit again. Yeah. And that's <laughs> my kitchen is like a like kind of an open kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, we got the, like the two windows and then the, like there's no door or anything. So like. Tons of people just like come back and like thanks for the food, guys. It was great, you know. Yeah. And I I love that part of it. Yeah, because some of the customers are cuter than others. And uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kitchen life is uh, that's uh, not everybody can do that. That's a rough, rough, dirty, late night existence. Greasy. And, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then a lot of stress, and then then all of a sudden no stress, and yeah, it's it's a very extreme, um, especially like I was never a part of the the front of house. I I would never be able to fucking wait on people. No, I don't. I thought I was gonna want to do that. No, no, I can't. That takes so much mental energy. Yeah, <laughs> I can do the physical energy all day, not the mental. And I just wear my emotions on my face, and yeah. so I wouldn't be that good <laughs> yeah. with like serving. And I would never be good in a restaurant that um, I was only in like pizza restaurants and shit, so quality wasn't top top notch. Right. I would never be good in like a like a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. No, I, I don't think I'd ever do fine dining. No, but. I can work in a bar. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people that are like really, maybe it's just what I, I perceive, but a lot of, 
people are really into like the fine dining and they want to get good at being a, a chef and shit like that. Like I, I grew up with this kid gray in Rhode Island and he was a, he was a chef on, on private yachts for like seven or eight years. Oh, wow. Just going fucking all over the world. So that's a cool life. He's not a chef anymore though. I don't know if he got burnt out or, or what, but, um, I couldn't imagine just being, being the, the, guy that isn't responsible for the food in a place where people expect like that much quality right bro <laughs> like, that. like, and that that's much, when i'm like i'll be a cook and that much consistency like like nah, i'll be a cook yeah not a chef yeah <laughs> i just fry cook line cook <laughs> chef means chief oh all right well that's i got another random fact knocked up uh comes from slavery if a woman is pregnant, a slave woman is pregnant, they knock the price up on her because you get two for one. What the Isn't fuck? Isn't that fucked up? That is so fucked up. <laughs> There's some weird shit. Like, we always say shit like that, like knocked out. Like, Where does that come from? It's like, it's got some really rough roots. <laughs> Jeez. <I'm... laughs> and then, like, cracker, I'm pretty sure it came from whip cracker. Whoa, yeah. okay. Nutty. I had no idea. I didn't either. And fucking makes sense. Is it cracker barrel? Oh. <laughs> I think it was a barrel full of whips. I'm not sure, though. I got to look at that, that logo a little more. What's really interesting is the Mandela effect, too. Right. Um, Holy fuck, don't get me started. And TikTok is really bad for that shit because you're like, these people are nuts, and then you, like... Maybe they get, they're maybe they're on something. Maybe they're onto something. Yeah, and they're, it's like they're very convincing with their videos. There's new stuff every fucking day, dude. Well, like, apparently, I don't know if you remember the Publishers Clearinghouse shit. It was like a sweepstakes that you a commercial you'd see on TV, and you can enter to win a million dollars. And then this guy Ed McMahon would show up to your house with a check. Apparently, the guy Ed McMahon was never involved with Publishers Clearinghouse. So it's like. The TikToker's theory is that someone's wiping things from history. And then the other thing is, like, maybe we all remembered something wrong. But it's like, what seems more likely? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we all remembered something wrong. Maybe. That mass hysteria and that, that, that just mass thinking, the madness of crowds is a real thing. Like, it is infectious to to be a part of a group that believes a certain thing and you don't question it in any way. And then you remember it that way. And then you can, when you get told, no, it wasn't that way. You're like, fuck, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Right. And it's like, is it that, or is it, well, cause we also have like just some, like people are like correlating it with CERN. And like yeah. the Hydron Collider and like alternate realities and shit like that. And if it is like like an overlapping of all different timelines and realities, then like shit's just going to get fucking weirder. And it's going to eventually hit a point where nobody can deny it. Right. With en entropy and whatnot. I wonder. I wonder how much of an effect. Uh, smashing particles together would have. Um, 
Now, are you talking about like that would affect the timeline of things? Well, I, I honestly don't know how it would affect anything, but people are correlating it. Oh, okay. um, so, and I think that like, because they're, I think the theory is that basically you have this mass that is lost when you smash them together. And that mass is then pushed into another dimension. Interesting. Yeah, because it, it loses mass and it shouldn't lose any mass. You know, there is no. Right. Yeah. So when they when they smash them all apart, that's what they think happens is it goes into the fourth dimension or something. And so then we've also got like weird like uh, like with Skinwalker Ranch, um, weird like possibly portal type shit that's been happening for a really long time. So it's like okay, well, if there are other dimensions or realities at play here, then who's the, who can fucking say what's going to come next? It's you so know? hard because, like, think of, uh, think of, like, a time machine, right? You can't... I'm going to chapstick it up. You can only go into the future with a time machine. You can't go into the past. Right. Because... Since that time machine did not exist before it existed, you would not be able to get to that. There would be no portal for you to go to the past, I right. guess. Exactly. Um, Unless or if, if you brought it to the past, it would affect the existence of it would affect the future. Unless have you seen Tenet? You would love Tenet. So it's basically a movie, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but they can invert people. So if it's inverted, it's moving backwards through time. So, Fascinating. yeah. Um, basically, a um, they had like a bullet on the ground, on the on the table. And in order to pick it up, you had to drop it. So you'd drop it, and then it would just, like, it, I don't know how the fuck they did it. Like, it blows your mind how the cinematography is done, but in order to do one thing, you had to have consciously already done it, and that's how you have to get used to working as an invert. And so this guy, in order to, like, save this shit, basically the world... Um, he has to go inverted back through time in order to do shit to come back forward through time. And then, like, and it's like this, they call it the pincer move, which is where, like, they had one army. They had two armies, red and blue. One of them was inverted. And they were going to go to this, it was all about hitting this one moment mm -hmm. in time. And... So, as the people that are not inverted, as they land, the people that are inverted are running out. And so, what they say is, if you, if you don't see yourself running out, don't run in. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So... What's it called again? Tenet. Tenet? T it's a... Of course, it's a... um. 
Um, it's read the same forward as it is backwards. Oh, an anagram? Anagram. Yeah. I can um, remember some shit. <laughs> um, yeah, T-E-N-E-T. Okay. That's yeah. fascinating. I it's... saw it in theaters on mushrooms, and, it, dude, <laughs> it blew my mind all over the goddamn walls. You ever done a float tank? No. You should. Yeah, I should. They're, uh, I wouldn't suggest the first time on mushrooms. I would suggest the first time, like, sober and, and like, trying to get yourself to I've only done it one time but trying to get yourself to a state where you're not fidgeting or you're getting comfortable with the idea that you're floating yeah and that you're they give you a pillow to keep your head um supported but you got you got to kind of get rid of the discomfort of that that because you're it, it's like a neck pillow almost so it pushes you so far back that your your throat closes up a little bit so you got to get a little bit used to that, but you can get to a point where you don't need the pillow. You can just support yourself completely and you're floating and the water is body temperature. So it feels like you're just, there's nothing going on and they have lights and stuff you can turn on or you don't need. You can close the shell or you can keep it open, but it gets like really, it's just an absence of anything. It's really nice. Hmm. But then the step up would be to go on mushrooms. Oh, dude. But then you'd have to, you know, take them at a certain time because you can't walk in there and be like, you guys should be really good at, at, at masking your mushroom. Yeah, trip. dude, I I am I'm pretty good at that. Because there's like signs and shit saying like no drug use. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I already did them, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we should uh, close it out there at two minutes, yeah. or two hours, two minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we should... Uh, do one another time. I can't really plan it out, but we'll and then out. Mace will be doing his own stoned stone ape, ape social hour. Social hour, and then uh, the yet to be named Brittany and Mace podcast as well. And then uh, I'll probably talk some bullshit at some point too. Peace.